writing to the Corinthians, the apostle wrote, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. So when we read the exhortations, the charges, the commands given through the apostles, we know that that is also the commandment of our Lord. And in uh, the Colossian epistle, of course, the first two chapters are dealing with high and heavenly truth and the wondrousness of the person of our Lord and the glory of his redemption and salvation. And then uh, he gives us those very practical exhortations. But they're based upon our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ and can be no other way. And so we are looking in chapter 4 as we are continuing our study in Colossians. And we're going to be reading and considering verses 5 and 6 this evening. Important. Exhortation. That word meaning that we're called to a high duty. Being those who confess to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And the apostle here writes, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Our Father, we thank thee for thy word. And as we come before thee and come before thee because of our blessed Savior and through the wondrousness of his eternal redemption and by thy Holy Spirit we ask for thy grace and guidance we pray that by thy Spirit thou wouldst be pleased to teach our hearts thy truth and lead us not only in the knowledge of what we read and consider but in the ability that can only come from thee to keep thy holy word. And we know it's all by thy grace. And so we thank thee and we ask thee for thy help as we look here in this evening. We'll thank thee in the Lord Jesus, blessed and holy name. Amen. Well, in this chapter, the apostle has exhorted to prayer. It's what we might call wide awake prayer. Our thoughts being directed to the Lord and clear sighted when we come before him. Diligent and persevering as he writes to us, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. To that admonition, he added the request for prayer for himself for an open door to speak the mystery of Christ. And the mystery, of course, in the New Testament sense is that which before was not fully comprehended, but now is made fully known to us. And, of course, he's dealing with the gospel as it goes to both Jew and Gentile, the preaching of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he turns our attention to our own responsibility, those we have in Christ, that to which we have been called, and uh, we who by God's grace know him 
are given indeed high responsibility toward a, not only ourselves, but toward unbelievers. We have a high responsibility in the world. That is, of course, what the apostle means why, and when he speaks here of those who are without, those who are outside of Christ, those who are outside of the kingdom of God. And uh, the very same principles that govern the apostle is also to govern us. Godly living. Godly living in Christ. And testimony. It's not something simply for preachers. It's that which is the responsibility of all who confess Christ. All who have been called by God's grace and know the wonders of his redeeming love and salvation. The world watches you. Those who know you watch you. The world holds you to a higher standard than it does to itself. And it should. It looks for anything that is inconsistent in the life of one who confesses faith in Christ, one who confesses to be a believer in the Son of God. It looks for anything it can find. As a matter of fact, it seems to be somewhat of a comfort to unbelievers when those who confess to know Christ fall into some kind of sin or inconsistency. We know, of course, the world is like that. They profess to be Christians, but look at the way they live. We know the world likes to accuse those who know Christ of being hypocrites. That's a very common thing. So your profession to believe on Christ and to be saved from sin and to belong to him, it's taken note of by unbelievers. Take a note of by those you converse, uh, converse with and those who uh, you come into contact with who are aware that you are professing to know and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It has been noticed, and in a very real sense it's true, that the world, though the world is in sin, yet the world is not really at times a bad judging, a judgment of character. The world judges character, even though it's in sin. The Apostle Paul wrote about that in the Roman epistle. They'll excuse one another or accuse one another. There's the knowledge of right and wrong. And uh, even though the world hates the light of God and his truth and loves the darkness, yet it's aware of right and wrong. So the very reason the world despises those who live godly in Christ Jesus, those who are not ashamed to own him before a sinful world, shows itself in that they know what is right even if they love what is sinful, selfish, self-seeking. So if worldly acquaintances would talk about you. Sometimes they may talk about you in a derogatory manner. And uh, because 
You no longer live as they live. You no longer love the things the world loves. You no longer walk in the ways of the world. Peter wrote about that in 1 Peter chapter 4. He's speak, uh, speaking of those who speak evil of you. Because you no longer walk in the excesses that they walk in. So it has been uh, so from the beginning. From the beginning of the Christian era. That believers have not only been judged by a higher standard. But they've been misjudged. They've been slandered by those outside of the kingdom of Christ. There's every desire in those who are walking in sin to find everything they can faulty in those who profess to be saved by God's grace. There is thus what the Apostle Paul speaks of here as wisdom. It's a special wisdom that is to govern the way that you relate to unbelievers. That's the subject, of course, of the Apostle's admonition here. You may be the only Bible some people will read. They may never pick up the Scriptures. They may never have a desire to know anything about the Word and the truth of God. But they see you. They see the way you live. They see the things you really love. They see what you go after. And you're to be a light. The apostle wrote to the Corinthians, Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, read and known of all men. For as much as you're manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, he's saying, not only do we have epistles, letters, that are given to us, inspired by God, given to us through the writers in the New Testament. But God gives you to be an epistle. He gives you to be read by the world. That's an incredibly high responsibility that we have. So that we must have wisdom to govern the way we relate to the unbelieving world. And the way we speak. The way you talk to others. The apostle, of course, has dealt with in relationship of believers to believers already in Colossians. In the third chapter, of course, in verses 12 through 14, he wrote, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity. That is, that love with which we're to love after the pattern of Christ, which is the bond of perfectness. So uh, Paul has dealt with the way we are to deal with one another. And, of course, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ said that what was to be a primary witness to the world, what was to impact the world and did impact the world, was that those who know him are to have a self-giving love. 
for one another, patterned after his own. As he said in John chapter 13, a new commandment I, I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He says, by this will all men have a testimony. The world will see this. They will take notice of this, if that is in you indeed. So another brought out, and uh, that which was to be and was a testimony to the heathen world, behold how they love each other. And in spite of all we have said about them, even they love us and treat us with kindness, returning good for evil. That was a testimony given concerning believers. It is a most solemn thought that the reputation of the gospel depends upon those who profess to believe it and to live by it. How you live before others, not just among those of like precious faith, but how you live before an unbelieving world consistently impresses the truth or the falsity of profession of faith in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the apostle writes, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. In the biblical sense, when we read of the walk of the believer, that's talking about a way of life, not an occasional thing, but the consistent way one is to live in Christ. It's a biblical description of the way of life. It's metaphorical of the whole conduct that we have in this world. And your conduct before the grace of God was known, before the salvation of God in Christ was known, before conversion was a reality, the conduct before that, the way you lived, the things that were sought, the friends that were chosen, the places you frequented, the activities which uh, you were engaged in were like that of the sinful world. That's because you were of the world. You were of the character of the world. We all had the same sinful nature that we're born in the world with before coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. But then if by God's grace you were convicted of sin, you were brought to the awful reality that you were separated from God by sin, that you felt the reality of coming judgment, but you came to hear in your soul and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and look to his death alone as the death of your sins and coming to him realizing that he rose from the dead to save you in repentance from sin you trusted yourself to him alone if that's a reality that's only because God called you because he gave that grace 
God called you out of a world that's perishing in sin. Out of that world no longer to belong to yourself, but to belong to him who died for you and rose again, who loved you and gave himself for you and loved you in spite of your sins and called you by his gospel to come to him. If you are of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ says in John 15, 19, if you are of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Those called by Christ, those who are converted in the biblical sense, conversion is the result of God's regenerative work, which brings to repentance from sin and to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. If that is the reality, you're a new creation. You've been made new in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's because you were dead in sins, but now have been made alive in Christ. And you're called to put off that old way of living that old manner called the old man and his deeds in scripture and to put on the new man. So if this be true of you, then it will bring you into conflict with the world that hates the light and loves the darkness. The world you're no longer of in that old sense. So that old acquaintances, to use Peter's words, will think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Well, of course, you remember the Lord Jesus says, uh, look out if men speak well of you, if all men speak well of you, God's people. If there is a true testimony to this world of living godly in Christ Jesus, there will bring, this will bring conflict at times. Before the world, you're given an incredibly high responsibility not to live like the world, but like Christ. And the exhortation in Scripture is to be what you are to outlive this life in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 and following, the apostle wrote, You were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. There's to be a radical, different life than when we came to Christ. Of course, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ taught that a tree is known by its fruit. And the truth of genuine faith in and love to Christ is not first in what you say, it's in what you do. It's the way you outlive your life. 
if you're going to testify of Christ, you must first be a testimony in your life, in yourself. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7 says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no dark darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. The apostle here gives the exhortation and the charge to walk in wisdom toward them that are without. That is to conduct yourself wisely toward those who are indeed looking for any inconsistency that they can find to discredit your Christian testimony. A true life lived unto God in Christ. One who in the faith of the Son of God truly lives godly in Him. It's going to be a thorn in the side of this world. In the early days of the new covenant church, believers were the objects of the world's slander. Even though they did not merit it, they didn't draw it unto themselves. The world would find things they could accuse those who were in Christ of, those who believed on Christ. They were called atheists. Why were those believers called atheists? Well, because they didn't serve visible gods. They didn't serve the gods that were made out of hands, out of wood and stone and gold. They would not engage in emperor worship. The emperor was considered as a god to be worshipped in the Roman Empire. They would not engage in emperor worship. So they were called unpatriotic. They would often meet behind closed doors in secret. And in that they were accused of being immoral. So you see, the world looks for anything it can find. It'll even manufacture something against the people of God. In our own day, it's very sad to say, but in our own day, even so-called churches that have become worldly, retaining the Christian name only, but yet so incredibly removed from any biblical truth, even denying the inspiration of God's word, even denying that this is our supreme and full authority, even that type of religion hates the truth and those who confess Christ and hold to the scriptures as the supreme authority to which we get our worldview from the Bible, the Word of God. Of course, they change whatever they want. 
They can come up with whatever rules or deny whatever the scripture teaches. Whether they install homosexuals or, or uh, uh, others in the ministry, whether they do not believe that God ordained that the man is to be the one who guides in the church and in the pastoral office alone and so forth, they will change whatever is wanted to be changed. They do not hold to the biblical order or the headship of the man in the home. That is something that's hated even in so-called churches, apostate churches. And so those who confess faith in Christ and bow to the authority of God and receive his word as our supreme guide and rule of faith, they're despised for doing so. Yet, you're called to live a virtuous, godly life before the world and to act wisely in regard to it. For instance, we read in Scripture that we are not to render evil for evil. But contrariwise, good for evil. That's against man in nature, in sin. That's something that can only take place consistently and properly if one is under the work and grace of God and indwelt and led by his spirit we're to be Christ like even to an ungodly world we read that the Lord Jesus Christ went about doing good Christ is your salvation to trust to imitate depend upon him to lead you is your wisdom the wisdom that comes from God the Lord giveth wisdom out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding it's not simply talking about natural wisdom it's talking about a spiritual wisdom that comes from God and God only so how serious is it that you understand that the reputation of the very gospel itself depends upon you who claim to believe it and to have experienced its saving power. How high your responsibility. Even the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, what do ye more than others? That's a searching word, isn't it? What do ye more than others? How do you live in a way higher than the world? What do ye more than others? What a searching question. Those who don't read the Bible, those who don't believe the Bible, those who have no interest in the eternal things of the living God. The only Bible they're going to read is you. Your conduct. Your speech. The way you live your, your life in the world. So it should weigh really upon our souls. 
that we are representatives in this world of the kingdom of God. You are a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ wherever you are. What an incredible responsibility. Then consider that wisdom also involves making the best use of the time you've been given. As again in verse 5, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. We're given a certain amount of time. The psalmist said, my times are in thy hands. We're here for a certain period of time. It's a very short period in the overall scheme of things. And we can look back over our pre-conversion life and grieve over wasted time. We can even look at the things in this world that we fail to make use of. Wasted opportunities. We're more interested in fun than in uh, giving the effort that it would take to labor, to study, to learn as much as we could. Not thinking that we only have so much time and when that time is gone, it's over. You can't reclaim it. You can't go back and get it. And if it's wasted, it's wasted. We can think of past sins and of the people we hurt, of the things we've done or said that if we could go back, we would change. But we can't. We can't go back and change what happened in the past. You can wondrously if understood rejoice in that your past life and your past sins are over. And the times of your old self they're over. That old self is dead with Christ, but alive in him now, living in him. And now you have new opportunities. You have opportunity now to buy up the opportunity, to live in a different way, to lay up treasure in heaven. Now you have an opportunity that was not there before. Now you have the most important knowledge there is. Far more important than any knowledge you could ever acquire in this world. The knowledge of God in Christ. The knowledge only God can teach you. Those who truly come to Christ, the Lord Jesus says in John 6, 45, are all taught of God. And those who are taught of God come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. They come to know who he is. They come to know why he came. They come to know of the glory of his redeeming love. They come to desire and want him above all. They come to trust him and look to him. 
And in 1 John 5, 20, the apostle writes, we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So now you have a rejoicing that you didn't have before. Now you rejoice in sins forgiven, sins washed away by the blood of the Son of God. Now you have a new heart that was given, a heart that knows whom you have believed. Now the desires are different. Now it's an incredible thing. You come to love what you once loathed. And you come to loathe what you once loved. You come to see sight and sin in an entirely different light in the realization of what it cost the Son of God to redeem you from sin and to hate it above everything else. Desiring the Lord with the purpose to live unto Him and for His glory and His honor. So don't now waste your opportunities. Redeem the time. Which translates into buying up the opportunities. Seeking the opportunities. To serve Christ. To serve others. To be a light and a witness. In this world. For the gospel message itself. To be faithful. Disciplined. Diligent. To seek, to use every means God has given for your growth in Him. Or as another put it, do not just sit there and wait for the opportunity to fall into your lap. But go after it. Yes, buy it. God calls us to seek first his kingdom and righteousness. He calls us to seek him among the saints. David, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, to come to love the ministry of the word of God, to come to love the truth and desire it and daily seek it, to come to... Ask God to open doors of service and to be on the lookout and to seize the opportunity when it comes to glorify and honor His holy name. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Making proper use of the time. Don't waste it. Don't let it go by and never be able to recapture it. Buy up the opportunity. Then he goes on in verse 6 to write, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Those who have truly experienced the saving power of the gospel are not only given to walk in a new way of life, 
but to engage in a new way of speech. This life in Christ involves not only a new walk, but a new talk as well. Words are incredibly powerful things. We had a very incredibly stupid little thing when we were kids. Sticks and stones may hurt, may, may break by my bones, but words can never hurt me. Then we come to realize words can hurt far more than, bone, than sticks and stones breaking bones. Words are powerful things. God speaks to us through his word. He gives us his words. To begin with, words reveal our hearts. What we talk about is what's in the heart, what we desire, what we really want. The Lord Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. We're going to talk about what we really desire, what we really want, what we really are going after, what really means the most to us, what really delights us. We're going to talk about it. I think of what Job said to his so-called comforters, <laughs> that it'd be their wisdom, essentially, if they just shut up. And wouldn't say anything. There's such a thing as talking too much. Those who do so often end up making a fool of themselves. As in Proverbs chapter 10 verse 19, the wise man writes, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin. It's quite a statement. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 3, a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. Such a thing is talking too much. You ever hear something and you say that's just too much information? This is too much information. That means somebody said something that's rather inappropriate. We learn from this that we're to weigh carefully our words. Once you say something, you can't recall it. Once it comes out of your mouth, you can't get it back. You can't say, whoop, before it gets to the person and put it back into your heart. Words reveal some things about you. Of course, as in the case of those who talk about others, who gossip. That comes from often a malicious heart, a tendency to want to see someone else hurt in their character in some particular way. And the source behind it is sinister. The tongue is a little fire and boasteth great things. How great a matter a little fire kindleth. The tongue is a world of fire. It's set on fire of hell, we're taught in James, uh, John, uh, James chapter 3. That's a solemn thing to think about when there are those who do that which harms the character of others. 
and they want to hurt them in some way by what they say. It's a solemn thing when the tongue is set on fire of hell. You remember what uh, Peter wrote? Peter wrote that this love that we are to love each other with covers a multitude of sins. It overlooks things. It overlooks these little things. Sometimes people get into the biggest arguments over things that don't mean much of anything at all. The tongue can be set on fire of hell. It can cause a great deal of trouble. Words can be incredibly destructive. They can be destructive to relationships. They can be destructive of one's own peace of mind. And most seriously, even in the realm of religion, words can be destructive to the souls of men. The Apostle Paul spoke of those whose words will eat as doth a canker. Instead of edifying, building, leading to Christ and the truth, they do just the opposite. They deny the truth. Others will judge you, not only by what you say, but even by the way you say it. A farmer finds the cultivation of a field to be a more difficult task than the planting and the harvesting. And yet, of course, the cultivation of the field is necessary to bring forth a good harvest, isn't it? So the cultivation of the heart is necessary to bring forth in a sense good words, nutritious words, words that are designed to help and build up, not to tear down. Gracious speech is speech in the realm of grace. This is dealing in the realm of salvation for God's people. The grace of God is the realm in which we are to move. And the speech is to be out of a constant experience of God's grace and God's mercy. And it will affect the way we speak, the way we deal with others. You must know the Lord Jesus Christ. You must learn of him. You must learn from him. You must walk in the ways of God if you're to cultivate speech that's edifying, speech that's designed to help and build up, not destroy and harm another. As a matter of fact, unless these things are put aside, it will block out the reception of the word of God. So Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, you're not going to grow unless that speech is put aside.
And this is to be something that's constant. It's an always or always thing. Let your speech be always with grace. Because the habits of life and speech will certainly without fail either have a good or a bad effect upon those with whom you converse. That's a solemn thing. The importance of words. Words are powerful. Words are important. You learn that at home, how to speak to one another in love, how to build up rather than to tear down. You learn that among the saints, in the church, among ourselves, how we speak and talk with one another. Then, in the world, we also are to speak with grace. And so the apostle is doing much more here than simply giving advice. He's giving a charge to be seriously taken to heart. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Be very careful the way you speak to others because you're to be the representative of the Lord Jesus Christ in a desperately needy world. Seasoned with salt. That's an important statement in Scripture. That will mean at least two things. Salt is a preservative. So Paul exhorts the Ephesians, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. No vile language, nothing that is to be filthy language, and after the fashion of the world, no corrupt communication proceeding out of your mouth. And then salt is used to season food. Makes it more appealing. I love salt on food. <laughs> you get some food to salad, put some salt on it. And uh, not too much, but it, it lifts the flavor out. And uh, it enhances it. So it makes it more appetizing. So if you live in the realm, constantly in the realm of God's grace, then gracious words, words that are designed to do good and not harm, will come out of your mouth and be palatable to your hearers. You have those who are under the control of a vile spirit, vile and hateful and harmful words come out, you know what we're instructed to do in Scripture? Give what kind of answer? The soft answer turneth away wrath. Grievous words stir up strife. So we're given some pretty important instructions in Scripture. And if your words, well, let's begin with, say, if your life, and your words testify of having a new life in Christ, then the world must take notice of that. 
the world will take notice of that. And there will come at times maybe the question for you, why are you different? Well, we know why we're different. Who make it to differ from another? We know who made us to differ. God in his wondrous grace and mercy. But when somebody else asks that, that's a tremendous thing. So if your words are gracious and your knowledge of God's grace is real and the realm in which you live, the Lord will give you opportunities, I believe, and ability to speak on his behalf. The words of Peter then echo what Paul is really writing here. When Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Isn't it wonderful? Wouldn't it be glorious just to live a life before others so much that they noticed how different it is? That the things that you desire and the things that you seek after and the things that come out of your mouth from your heart is so different and the joys that come in knowing the Lord and his grace and his salvation is so evident but someone wants to know why the Lord Jesus said ye are the salt of the earth don't let that salt lose its savor ye are the light of the world your duty is higher. You have a higher standard than does the world. So may God grant us the grace to outlive a new life in Christ. No longer unto ourselves, but unto him who died for us and rose again. So may God bless our study and our consideration of his holy word. Do we have some special prayer requests? So Nadine has recurring fever, and yeah. it's but it's not constant. No. It, so then it'll go back down, and then a couple days later it'll be back. Maybe a good idea to have her checked. Yeah, I told her she needs to go. I'm probably going to see her patient first after. Yeah. Could be. If she's working with children, they have all kinds of stuff. They so, do. Yeah. Can be picked up. Bob and Carol seem to be doing good, but keep praying for them. And uh, Carol was thinking her voice would come back in six weeks, but they said, no, they meant six months. 
So, you know, she has a beautiful voice, beautiful singing voice, and so uh, we hope that that will come back. We need to pray for this poor nation in which we live, that God would bring a genuine awakening. I think I'm going to bring a message that will have that within it regarded this coming Lord's Day. Then next week, um, not this coming Friday, but the next Friday will be my surgery. And uh, hoping that will work out good, so my recurring UTIs will be dealt with in that way and will cease. I went yesterday for pre-surgery. I think they took about half the blood in my body out to check it. But anyway, she took vial after vial after vial of blood and EKG and all kinds of stuff to make sure I could go into that kind of surgery, I guess, and anesthesia. But it'll be the fifth time in two years I've been under <laughs> anesthesia, so I guess it'll be all right. <clears throat> but we'll pray about that next week. Upcoming college for Matthew. Indeed. And uh, you'll have to be very careful to be so nurtured in the Word of God that you'll know the truth and whatever comes. Lydia's traveling home Friday. Lydia, Lydia's coming home Friday, flying from Kansas. Continue to remember Barbara and Dale and Dawn and Emma and, and uh, that the things will be taken care of with uh, the house that was destroyed by the tree. We can stop the live stream now and those at home can do their own praying. fellows want to pray, we'll pray with you silently. Thank you. 